We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. We may have Mike uh, jumping on later. He's driving back from the arena. After Lakers got a good win tonight, got a home win against the Phoenix Suns, 122-111. to Austin Reeves got inserted into the starting lineup, had another great game. More MVP chance, D, a 25 and a career high, 11 assists. We used him a ton on the ball, even with that starting group. I want to talk about that a bit. AD really got it going in the second half on offense uh, for the first time in a little bit. And just, yeah, it was a tale of two halves, kind of, I thought, our defense really carried the day in the first half. And then in the second half, our offense was just, ah, this team has done a few things that just hits higher peaks than we have in a long time, especially on the offensive end. That's very tantalizing, man. So I'd love to hear your thoughts from a, a pretty good win tonight. No, it was a good win. Um, Monty Williams was certainly not happy after the game. He, I it's think he good. took one question and then left. He was very upset about the free throw disparity when they're mad about the Lakers shooting too many free throws and just the refs in general, as it is with the Lakers, that's nature healing right there. This is how we know the NBA is getting back in its, its rightful place. Well, also too, <laughs> it's like if your team employs Chris Paul and then, um, Scott Foster is one of the referees. I feel like it, it might already be in your head a little <laughs> bit, right? Like, like sure. that's something that, that you might sure. be carrying. Um, Anyways, the Suns don't shoot a lot of free throws in general. They also foul a lot. Welcome to the NBA, guys. And we get um, to the foul line a ton. Yes, they they definitely do, especially Austin Reeves, who another <laughs> 13 free throws tonight. First bucket was another and one. I may get this Austin and one Reeves nickname to stick after all, Pete, if he's going to keep getting to the free throw line like Prime James Harden. Um, where should we start? I think we should start literally with the starting lineup, right? So Darwin's been getting questions the last few games about the starting lineup, the lack of production, the struggles starting from behind, basically, early on in, in each game. And he said, got a little something up my sleeve. 
and he hinted at a lineup change. And Austin Reeves was that lineup change. We've talked a bit about um, Beasley and in the pod that we recorded this morning or no, sorry, was I? It was this morning. It's been a very long day. (laughs) Yes. You've sort of, I don't want to say been hard on Beasley, but I think that your view of him was, and you expressed this, that like if you had a choice to limit the rotation, Beasley might be the guy who found his way or who would end up being mm-hmm. the odd man out. And Beasley did play this game. He hit a couple of threes and Darwin praised him for his professionalism and, and his competitiveness after the game. But I don't want to say that Austin's shift to the starting lineup was a difference in this game. He played great against Orlando as well, and he just continued that run here. But that shift, I thought, was super important within the context, Pete, of like it gave the Lakers another two-way player in the starting group, and it gave them another on-ball threat. One of the things that they've been missing with LeBron out is that other usage player in the starting lineup. And... Mm -hmm. They've they've basically been starting two usage guys in D'Lo and and AD and three connecting players. Right. Beasley's a connecting player. He's a connecting player based off of his shooting. And then Troy and Vando are classic like role player Defenders, guys. Like Troy, yeah. Troy is a three and D guy and Vando is like that Swiss army knife defender, slasher, cutter, just a guy handles the ball a little bit. But that third guy that you look for with usage has not been there. And they put Austin Reeves in and Austin has become that guy for them. And so talk to me about what you saw from Austin and his fit within that context of being the third usage guy in a lineup where you typically do need three guys who can absorb some ball handling and shot creation responsibilities. One of the things that stood out to me about it tonight is when you would think about that as a concept, you normally think of Austin as being the third option, right? That's how we have classically talked about basketball. AD is your first option, D'Lo is your second option, Austin's the third option. But what it did, that on-ball type of play and that you're going to be the point guard, is I thought it put D'Lo into a much better position and slot just working off of the ball. And I'd love to get to D'Lo later just in terms of his ability to have a really good game while fitting in with something else. Like He doesn't take over the game or dominate it in a way that gets in the way of others. And that type of player allows other guys to have a great game, as, as we saw with Austin. But Austin, like setting up his ball screens, that's something that I feel like he does probably better than any of our guards. And D'Lo does this at a really high level, but he will manipulate the guy who's defending him to run him into the screen or yep. to adjust the 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 role the roll angle and all of that and he also looks for like penetrating passes toward the basket where there were a couple of times like he hit Vando with a an entry pass when he was in the dunker spot on a play where the natural motion of the play would have meant a swing pass to the to the wing or corner but along the perimeter instead he like subtle ball fake and then that piercing pass right into the paint. And so that ability to do that while hitting the pull-up jumpers and all of that, uh, D, I just think <laughs> we've really stumbled onto something, man. On ball Austin at the, at the point guard spot, like he's really good and he's been really good for a minute. Well, very much in the classic concept of where both him and D'Lo are probably 1.5s, right? 
And so Austin had a yes. couple of like mistakes on the ball today as well, where he went too early to close out the quarter. Oh, um, the second quarter. I was so mad at him on that. Yeah. Right. Where it's just like, okay, like Last the shot. shot clock. Yeah. yeah. Shot clock and game clock are basically aligned and he decides he's going to go with six seconds left. And then that allowed the Suns to, uh, to score and get a little bit of that momentum back before the end of the half. Um, he, and then with more on-ball reps, like he's also going to have more turnovers or or just a few more plays a game where it's just like, oh, like that's that's not what we're used to. Well, with mm-hmm. you, but in the bigger picture, he's he's giving you so much more, right? That like the scales are tipped amazingly so in that direction of like, oh, okay. And the reason why I called him a 1.5 is because he's just as comfortable working off of the ball. So a lot of those yeah. passes that you're talking about to Vando, those come off first swing or mm-hmm. like a play where he hit Vando for the finish where Vando like took the power dribble and then bumped the guy off and then finished mm-hmm. inside. AD caught the ball on the right wing and then... The double came late, like AD was holding the ball a little bit and then the shot clock was starting to go down. And so Phoenix then rushed a second defender at him and and then they covered up one pass away. Right. So AD was going to have to skip the ball all the way across himself. But that's a far pass. So instead, Austin got into a passing window and he hit Austin at the top of the key. The next pass typically is the swing back to the corner for the open three. But Austin does shoot that little ball fake or he looks in that direction and then just fires it through. And I wrote about this in my recap that should be up at Lakers.com right now, that his processing speed, and it's one of the reasons why he's always been great with LeBron and Alex Caruso was the same way. It's just like their brains work faster. And so they are seeing the play unfold and that ability, D'Lo has that same ability. And so both of those guys, I thought mm-hmm. one of the main reasons why adding Austin to the starting lineup is just helpful. Forget what the numbers are or anything else. It's that you have the ability to run two side action so much better, whereas the Lakers were only basically a one sided team. And whenever they were running second side action, it was just for like pin downs for Beasley. Mm -hmm. And the Lakers offense struggled at the very beginning of the game because they were running like some of those same similar actions that they would run for Beasley. And they were trying to run those for Austin. And it was just like none of those were working. And it was just yeah, like, oh, not what he like does the shot, either. Yeah, yeah, the shot clock is going down, down and down. And it wasn't until the second half where I felt like they really started to get their groove as a two-sided team, right? And D'Lo was hitting those threes off of swing swings. And it's just like, this is the rhythm and the flow. And Austin and D'Lo both having that ability, Pete, to shot create, drive, or pass all off of being strong side or weak side players, that's going to, I think, can really open up the Lakers offense. And we saw it in the second half against the Suns. And it's got me thinking also about when LeBron comes back, to me, you've got an elite ball screen combination on both sides of the floor. That's yep. a very difficult to defend. And the skill level of a D'Lo, Austin, LeBron, and AD is through the roof. You're talking about like 
highly skilled players relative to their position, LeBron at the four and AD at the five. That's like what makes them special relative to their peers at, at those spots. So when you got four guys like that and you've really got to shift attention from one side of the floor to the other and the guys on the other side of the floor can capitalize on the opportunity that you created on the strong side, like I just see a lot of brilliant you know, you can invert it where AD and, and LeBron are the ball handlers, just a lot of versatility there. But AD is still the centerpiece of it, D. And I thought it was no coincidence that the third quarter is where the offense really started to take off. Darvin in post game was like, you know, when asked about what was the difference, he was like, well, his dumbass coach started to run some plays for him. I think that's a generous <laughs> covering for your player a bit. Type of interpretation. I I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it for sure. But AD got it going, man. This has been something that has been vexing you for a few days now, man. What do you see? So two things. A, Darwin is covering for the player a little bit, but Darwin's not wrong either. Mm -hmm. They ran, they ran some purposeful pin down actions where they weren't starting AD in the corner. corner. They were starting him in the dunker spot or underneath the basket. Like the lane line right around there. Mm -hmm. And then they were setting those same pin downs for him using a guard. And then AD was coming and he was making his catch at the elbow. Right. And so when he is catching the ball there or he's, if he's catching the ball 16 feet and in, he is a bear to deal with his jumper is so much more comfortable 16 feet and in he shoots that he gives you that hard jab one dribble and then like reverse pivot into a step back that is just unreal to block and he like you can't block it you can't even contest it and those are i don't want to call them practice shots for that for well for him but you could tell he's practiced them thousands of times like that's a that's an in the gym shot for him but You also see the part where like, oh, where was this level of aggression in some of these other games, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the other side of Anthony Davis that I know vexes a lot of people where it's just like, okay, we can talk about all the actions and him not getting the touches and all of this. Create the environment to... Right, right. And look, I'm definitely on the other side of that argument, but I'm not dumb. I see the difference between the dude who said, you know what, like, oh, that's Jock Landale there. Like, I'm just going to spin off of him and go and dunk it because I'm Anthony Davis or I'm going to bury this dude deep in the post and then I'm going to just shoot a jump hook. And then my second jump, I'm just going to get a tip dunk off off of my own miss. Those are the types of plays that he hasn't really been attempting in two or three games. And they were back. And suddenly he looks like the dude that's going to get you 30 points, basically, on high level efficiency and drawing fouls and getting to to the foul line. And things look a lot better when that dude is at the anchor, because in the first half, I thought he was really good defensively, but it was the second half Mm -hmm. where his offense came alive. And that's that's the dude right there. And then you combine that with elite level shot making from from your guards and suddenly you win a game comfortably where the Suns look like they were it was 99-98. Mm-hmm. Like they were within a point and it was just like, "Oh, and they got that Booker dude and he's cooking and then suddenly the Lakers ran off a 10-2 run and all 10 points were scored by Anthony Davis and D'Angelo Russell." And that's where you didn't even have Austin. 
during that stretch. It was, it's just like these two dudes are going back and forth and, and just scoring And AD man. Talk to me about what you saw. Cause I know he could frustrate at times for the lack of that, that punch that he showed in uh, that third quarter. In the postgame show on Spectrum, uh, James Worthy, who did this a ton, one of the greats at doing exactly this, was extolling the virtues of catching and just going the moment that you catch it. And I think that this is a this is something that when AD does this, it helps his game out so much for a couple of reasons. One, it, it's just a certain level of attack that he's always going to be a handful because he's so big and so coordinated and able to hit all of these difficult floaters and all that. So AD going to the basket's a good idea. Who knew, right? But the rhythm and pace of it, of just catching and going sometimes, that if you is going to get you to the free throw line, it's going to get you that drop step that he had against Landale for the the dunk. But that catching and just hitting the throttle every once in a while is also going to make your jab step work. So you want that to have some possessions where like, I just want to take this clean 16 footer, throw a good jab step at that. And if you've caught it and gone to the basket and burned them once on that, they're going to react to that or a lot more so. And so a lot of times AD will catch and survey the vast majority of the time. And I think it yeah, makes like him 75, easier. 80% of his possessions. If, for sure. if not more. Yeah. And yeah. so that like, and I'm talking like on ball touches, not like roll man type of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. But that I think is something that is just a simple thing that I, I think makes all the difference in the world with him. No, totally. Let's, well, let's go to break here because I do want to talk a little bit more about AD and that, and that in-the-moment decision-making and skewing it more towards that aggression. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. 
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So I think that's an excellent point that you made, Pete, about him surveying a lot. Um, one of the things that is, I think, a hallmark of AD's career, and I think this happens a lot for big men in general, just based off the nature of of how they've come up in the game. Now, AD was a guard when when he was younger, but his entire NBA career, he's been a big man. And so those dudes play with their back to the basket or from different – they don't play at the top of the floor as much. And so they're not naturally good passers a lot of times. And one of the reasons that AD, I think, does survey the floor a lot is because he's had issues in the past dissecting double teams and making passes out of double teams. And he is the type of guy that you can get him on the defensive when he's an offensive player yeah. by sending him by sending a lot of pressure at him and giving him a bunch of different looks and like Nick Nurse did this well with the Raptors and then Jason Kidd did this with with the Mavs where it's just like no bro like you're not getting comfortable at all and instead of meeting that force with force AD will oftentimes look to see well where is the opening and I am going mm-hmm. to survey this. And in the same way that we've talked a lot about AD being a rhythm player as a scorer, well, he can also get in a rhythm in the wrong way. And this is one of those ways mm. where he starts to survey too much and he gets too caught up in this, like, what's the defense going to do? How am I going to beat it with this pass or going in this direction where in in the third quarter, he just said, oh, you know how I'm going to beat it? I'm just going to go right by you because you got nothing for me. And mm-hmm. turning that part of his brain back on. He did that in the third quarter, and I'm hoping that this can serve as a little springboard for him to do more of that over this next stretch of games because they really need this version of him, man. They can't rely on the guards to have to shoot 70 percent true shooting every single night and win these games. Well, and he I think it's uh, I think there's synergy between him and the guards in that they make each other's lives easier. Um, yeah. And. But AD having that level of force is something that our guards can't replicate. That's actually one of the things that I'm really excited about with LeBron coming back, right? Is that it's funny, like as I think about this team and as I see it more and more, LeBron is the exact player that we need just in terms of fit with this team. And a big part of that is the ability to play with force off of the dribble because our current guys don't really have that. And so just having that in your bag and as one of those type of guys, oh, and it's LeBron James at that, right? That level of force, I think the more assertive and forceful you see LeBron and AD, you're going to be giving Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell wide open shots. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt crashes to the rim off of dives, you know, and all like, I'm really excited for it. I, I hope I hope uh, LeBron can come back sooner than later. But that level of force, I feel like that's the first step to make everything else work. And then then that's when the guards can make things easier for AD. 100%. I want to pivot here really quick, quickly, because you brought up the name Vanderbilt. And we mentioned yeah, him thank earlier. Yeah, thank you. I was going to go there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
you had said in in our text thread that like this is like one of Vando's better halves that he's had in that first half, and I don't think it's a coincidence. And Mike said this as well. Hey, Mike said Speaking this as of, well. What's up, Mike? Here, Welcome, then, man. Here is Mike. We're what's just starting Mike? on Vanderbilt, my man. Aha! Uh-huh. What's up, fellas? So, good how's to it see going, you, man? Uh, how how um, was it tonight? Let's a quick sidebar, man. How was it? It's it's a very interesting vibe right now, right? Because the there's there's some angst right in the crowd and like i think people are like fans are smart like there's just people that are well aware of the scenario and then you know the players i think are to an extent but when when it's not actually a playoff game and people are judging it sort of like a playoff game it just makes for it makes for a a complicated type of environment and i think that largely (laughs) you know, the Lakers brought the requisite energy that they needed. There were some unnecessary mistakes and like certain parts where they didn't step on the neck that they could have given where Phoenix was shorthanded, but you know, they ended up where they needed to end up. Uh, and by the way, both Darius and I are wearing ties. Yeah, um, that, it is. That is, that oh, is the first, I know uh, why I'm wearing a tie. I, I, what, I had uh, the same question. It's 11 15 at night. These dudes look like they're ready for a yeah, wedding. Wow. I mean, I literally just got out of my car and, and, and turned on the thing. But I mean, Darius, I mean, I, I like you staying classy like that, man. That's sharp. I almost had soup today too, Mike. So <laughs> is that kind of day? <laughs> if it is that that kind kind of day, I was saying earlier to Pete, we were talking about this offline that um, I was at the office today for my day job, and so this is how I dress when I go to my day job, similar to how you dress when you're at your night job, right, Mike? Which is Lakers sideline reporter. So, so, and then I was running around a bunch after work to the point where then I settled in to watch the game and I did not change. And now we're recording a podcast because, and I, I wrote up my recap for Lakers.com. And so I am still, still looking dapper or as dapper as I can look at, you know, almost midnight. Wow. I mean, for me, the literal first thing that I do when I come home from a game, if if you guys aren't already live recording a podcast, <laughs> is take off the suit and tie. Sure. Um, sure. I, so I I respect that you're you know that you're st- sticking with it, but now I feel like I'm taking too much time on this. Um, <laughs> I'll be excited to go back and listen to the pod to see what you guys thought in in the first part of it. But I I think the like you were just getting to Vanderbilt, so I can I'll mm-hmm. get to Vanderbilt in a second. Uh, but I I just think that like the the energy that Austin brought to the starting lineup and it might've messed with some of the cohesion that had developed on either one of the units, but it just was, it was enough. And then like to change, I think some of what that the morass was for the last couple of games with that starting lineup. And I uh, guess he just played the same way that he played and it was just as effective against the starting group, um, which is encouraging to see. And I think, I don't think a surprise, right. Based on he's been doing it in closing lineups too. Uh, and often against what the other team, the best the other team has to offer. But then Vanderbilt slotted back in this case as a perimeter defender mm-hmm. against Booker. I thought like that. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Like, that's right. That's where he is best used. That's where he's been best in certainly this season and, and, and in his career. And when Booker really started to cook was when he was on the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like that, I thought that kind of got back to, um, to, they, they were able to hold him down again once he returned and really pushed the, the lead back. So, um, it's just, it, I hope that that informs the way, even in, in some matchups that are a little bit less obvious like that, like the teams that don't necessarily have a booker, but how about Shea Gilgis Alexander? 
Um, you know, mm-hmm. for example, like who's, who's really a point guard, but I, I don't know. Like I, I like Vandy in that context more than, than some other players. So, um, that was encouraging to see him sort of back used in that way. And I thought it, it kind of flowed better even into the offensive side. I thought that got him into somewhat of a, uh, of a, of a rhythm, like the way that he was getting touches. And, and so the whole thing overall, it was his best game in a while in the plus minus reflected it at the, what do you finish plus eight? Mm-hmm. And he had, you know, he hadn't, he hasn't, I don't know if he's even been in the positive uh, in a little while. So that was encouraging for sure. No, we talked about that in the other pod, right? That he's, he's, he was a minus 34, <laughs> like since the Lakers got, got him. And that was the worst number on the entire team. And like, we had broken it down too. how that was actually like a minus like a minus 74 in the games that LeBron hadn't played. So it's been a while that he's had a good plus minus number in any game that like where LeBron didn't play for sure. Right. Like, so I thought Vanderbilt's defense on the perimeter really animated the Lakers defense in general. And one of the things that like we talked about all the foul drawing that the Lakers have done offensively. Vanderbilt drew three illegal screen fouls. Oh yeah. Right? He made, I, I think I counted five plays on the perimeter defensively where like he either jumped a passing lane, drew an illegal screen, like, and even just the cumulative effect of making Booker whine and then mad at the refs and just like, just go fuck shit up on the perimeter. You know, like that's, that should be <laughs> yeah. his role. Yeah. Go, re- go wreck it. Go wreck things. That's right. right? Like, and he, so, and I also thought that he really benefited from Austin being in the lineup, like more than anyone. We talked about this earlier in the pod, Mike, um, but how in his own way, Austin stepped into the LeBron usage role in that, like he, he was a guy who took on ball reps, but also he took second side reps as a passer as well. And, and Pete, he, he was the recipient of several of those Austin passes. The, the, the career high setting assist was another lob from Austin to Vanderbilt right now. That's on a broken play. It's at the end of the game. There are, are they going to foul? Are they not? But the other ones were just like, okay, well, this dude's in the dunker spot. AD is drawing attention on one side of the court. Swing, swing. Like, oh, there's the pass. And Austin at the top of the floor or second side from, from the slot, driving and kicking or throwing the skip. Vanderbilt's the guy that's going to benefit from that because he's the guy who teams are leaving in order to double team. And you have to have that higher processing speed and second side action in order to take advantage of Vando's great ability to cut and work cut. off of that mm-hmm. action, which is something that LeBron had talked about with Vanderbilt as being like smart about. But and this isn't a knock on Beasley. This just isn't his game. Beasley's not making that passing read, but Austin Reeves is. Dennis even can a little bit, but not to the level that Austin and Delo can. And so pairing those two guards 
with Vanderbilt, I think really did unlock him offensively in in ways just like putting him on a perimeter player defensively, especially one who likes to use a lot of screens because he's very good at navigating screens and just fights through them. He's a hard dude to screen, even though he's bigger. So it was just a lot of like, like, oh, this was a Vanderbilt game. And like, I feel like he he needed one of these, too. Yeah. So I think that. The the thing that I've been monitoring the most, right, is just trying to trying to gauge what the energy level is and like what the how that meets the the way that the Laker coaches are using the players and just all of this stuff together as they enter this last stretch. And you know, there's every time that you win a game in, in this case, and the Lakers end up beating a Phoenix team that they should be, given who was out, uh, but they get the job done. And Pete and I were talking on the pod yesterday, Darius, when you weren't there about sort of like looking at this last 10 games. And, and then we were talking about it in the group thread. Okay. Well, can they get to seven and three, you know, and now six and three sounds a lot more tenable than seven and three. Now it, it just like, it's, it's each one of these games is so important, but when you do take care of business and then you look in the standings and things start to line up differently, it just, it's so, so different. Like, and that's why that Dallas game was just such a gut punch mm-hmm. to the Lakers. Cause just think about the difference that that kind of thing makes, but you can make up for that if you're the Lakers with, with these types of performances and they have a really big one coming up. They have the advantages going in because OKC is playing the Clippers on Thursday night. And this might be the first time that they end up actually playing Shea in a back-to-back in a while. They haven't in about a month, but Billy Donovan made some, uh, Billy Donovan, uh, Mark Dagnow <laughs> made, wow, that was a, that was a throwback, made some, uh, made some comments to, to kind of like imply that it would be possible for him to play in both. And, and good, like in the, the Lakers need yeah. to, like they need to take care of business in that way. And they've got, they can use somewhat of a similar defense, I think, in what they used against Booker. Um, in this context, even though much, much different players, they get their shots from different places and Shea's going to get much closer to the rim. He's going to draw more fouls. Uh, but you know, that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing for the Lakers matchup because of Anthony Davis. Um, and, and he might have the impact of being able to keep Shea at least a little bit further away. Um, especially if you've got athletes that they can swarm on him. And, you know, it's just like the, that opportunity there to get the tiebreaker against OKC. And to to put yourselves in front of them in the standings, which, well, I guess it depends what happens with the Clippers and the Thunder. Right. But it, it can line up like in a way that that like the Lakers can just continue to take control of their season um, down the stretch here. And I, I think that a lot of the postgame stuff, I tried to ask almost everybody this question of like already. OK, great. Phoenix check. But now guess what? Just as big of a game against an mm-hmm. opponent that's playing great basketball. Um, they've won eight of 10 games and we'll see what happens tomorrow night. So it's just a, it's a, that, that box has been checked, boom, onto the next and it's time to keep proving it. As the Lakers season turns, what a year. Uh, we're going to keep this one short today. We will be back tomorrow to preview that game a little bit more in depth against OKC. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here's on the line. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 
is an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. One. Miss it. It's over. Shot popping out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.